I'm okay that I don't have a PhD yet because I got a PhD in hard knocks. <laughs> I got a PhD in life. But I'm gonna just go ahead and invite uh, Jay Schiffman up to share his story. So let's give it up for Jay. Welcome to the Choose Your Struggle podcast. I am your host, Jay Schiffman. Welcome to episode 27 of the Choose Your Struggle podcast. Pretty cool episode today. The shout out is NJ, also known as Nick Lechner. And the interview is with Frederick Chagog. Both own their own incredible speaking, coaching. I mean, all sorts of amazing inspirational work that both of their companies do. They both do an excellent job of you know, shouting those out. So I'm not going to get real deep into all of that. I will say NJ really inspired me. And Frederick, when I was done editing his uh, interview, I had to like go run a mile <laughs> because he gets you so hyped just listening to him. I really want to share a stage with Frederick at some point because dude is inspirational and really hyped me up listening. And I do this for a living. So like, man, I, I really respect what he's doing. Thank you, as always, to people who reached out after the last episode. I love hearing from you. As evidenced by the fact that NJ Lechner, today's shout-out, is a dude who reached out. I didn't know NJ. I mean, I still don't. We met virtually. But he reached out over LinkedIn and said, I think I've got something for you. And as usually is the case, the answer is, yeah, you do. So he is the shout-out today. Uh, so keep that up. As always, you can find me on Facebook at Choose Your Struggle on Twitter at CYS underscore J, on Instagram at The Next Schiffman, on LinkedIn at J Schiffman, uh, J-A-Y-S-H-I-F-M-A-N.com is my website. So keep reaching out. I love hearing from you all. And to make it even more special, last week I told you that the next 10 people who sign up for my Patreon were going to get entered into a drawing for a gift card Something even cooler, something even easier. You have no reason not to win this, or at least get a chance to win this. In the show notes, you'll find a link to a survey. The survey is about the podcast. Look, I don't do this for the numbers. I don't do this. I don't know. I don't know. Like I, don't, I'm, I can't even think of things that, that I don't do this for because I do this for one reason, and that's to reach people and to spread this message. And yet, I do see the numbers. Uh, you know, I, I can't avoid them. And they're doing real well. So it makes me want to hear from y'all more. It makes me want to make this show even better for y'all, which means I need to hear from you. So there is a survey in the show notes or a link to a survey. Please, please do not. Don't be a dick. Like, don't tell me you hate listening to the show because you hate the sound of my voice. But give me honest feedback. I want to hear from you. There are some questions. I think they're all pretty easy. Anyone who finishes the survey will be entered to win a gift card. This will be up for probably about a month. So sometime in September, we'll do that drawing and I'll announce it here as well as some other places. So check that out. It's in the show notes. It could not be easier. It's made by Google. So all you have to do is open your browser and it's right there. That's it. That's all I'm going to do before we get into the show today. I want you all to enjoy both of these interviews. I will catch you at the end for your choose your card and your good egg. Thank you all for coming along. 
I love y'all. Choose your struggle. I decided to, uh, I've always been a very extreme high introvert and uh, extremely afraid of public speaking. So I decided to change that all one day. And I, did, I decided to join Toastmasters. And I, uh, I began my journey of public speaking. It was really, really difficult at first. But as I got going, I got stronger in communication skills and leadership. And from there, it spawned the website Leapfrogging Success. What I'm really after is to try to target a very underserved audience that I, I spotted a long time ago when I started. And that is what I like to call the extreme anxious analytical introvert. We are very highly introverted, very anxious about certain things, especially like being in the public eye, and also very analytical and technical. So I saw that this population was really underserved, and it's exactly who I am. So I wanted to offer my, my services out there, and what I did is I created a, a blog, and I have hundreds of articles uh, written all for that specific audience. I created uh, learning courses, all revolving around this platform. And so that's my story. And I mean, if you really want to go way back in my life, uh, it stemmed from having a very dysfunctional uh, childhood uh, where I grew up with an alcoholic father and there were lots of problems at home, very uh, dysfunctional family behaviors that really prompted me to be who I am today. And it really didn't solidify until my mother died five years ago. And by the time that she died, my, both my parents were gone. And I felt orphaned and I felt alone, but I felt like I really needed to start over in life. So at the age of 48, I developed leapfrogging success. I developed a five-step plan specifically designed for this particular demographic. And I haven't looked back since. What advice would you give to someone who is that, you know, they think they've got a message, they've already done a, a little bit of the, they're out there, they're, you know, talking at community events, whatever, and they want to make that leap to doing this thing. What advice would you give that person? I would say uh, have faith in yourself. Believe in yourself because you are in a mindset right now where you don't know what you don't know yet. And if you just put yourself out there once, just try it once in front of one person, a small group, even talking to yourself in the mirror or on a recording, just try it once. I guarantee you, if I can do it, I know for a fact you can do it because it was extremely difficult for me when I started out in Toastmasters, when I started out on a stage and I had to speak in front of a crowd of people. It was terrifying. But as I got going, my message got stronger and stronger and stronger the whole way. Let's close with where, where everybody can find you. And also this is your chance to then shout out if there's anyone else that you think we should be following, anything that you want to say here. Great. Thanks. So my website is leapfroggingsuccess.com. Just kind of how it sounds, leapfroggingsuccess.com. And I have a blog with hundreds of articles on there. I keep updated all the time. I have learning courses, webinars, uh, books on Amazon. I have uh, workshops. And because of COVID, the pan pandemic, I'm not doing live workshops right now, but I'm going to be doing virtual workshops very soon. You can also go to leapfroggingsuccessacademy.thinkific.com where I have also uh, another batch of learning courses out there. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast and then thought, oh, man, I just, I don't even know where to begin. Well, I have the perfect answer for you. It's Anchor. They have all the tools you need to get started right away, all in one spot. You can do it from your phone or your computer. 
They'll even distribute for you, so you don't have to go looking for places to get your podcast out. But the best part is it's all free. That's right. You can sign up today without any hassle at all. You can even start making money right from the beginning. It's everything you need in a podcast in one place. So check it out today. Go to anchor.fm or download the free Anchor app to get started. All right, well, first of all, um, let me be very clear that I thank you for having this platform. Um, I thank you for what you're doing. History will shine bright on you. Thanks, man. It's been wonderful to meet you. And in this short time we've got connected, I'm already uplifted. So thank you for that. Thank you. Here's the story. This wasn't the plan. The plan for me was simple. Keep using, keep drinking, whatever that needed to be. But then God said, no, I got something else. Four years ago, um, I just celebrated four years of recovery. Four years ago, I was downtown homeless, dumpster diving, begging for change. I woke up, and, and to this day, I don't know who the guy is. I wish I knew where he was. I wish I could meet him. I'd take him out and get him a steak, I swear. He woke me up. Um, I was asleep. I had no shoes on. He woke me up, and he said, um, he said I called the ambulance. I said, man, let me die. And he said, you ain't dying today. Um, and who would have thought four years later I would now be a college graduate full ride, all-state PA academic team to Westchester to finish out my bachelor's this fall. I'd have a motivational speaking company traveling the country. Um, I'd be a father, a husband. You know, I'm empowering other people. Um, I'd be a volunteer, spoke at Sunday school. You name it, God has allowed me to do it. And the reality of it is, is because I based my life on a foundation of health. I got tired of hearing that the disease was attacking me. I kept hearing that treatment. The disease is doing push-ups. Well, what if I'm doing push-ups too? And I just decided to change my mind frame. I went to treatment for 78 days, and instead of counting my days, I made my days count. Everybody always asks me what was the turning point, and it's just simple, pain. I'm the type of person ever since I was a kid, if my mom told me to be in the house at 7, I'd come in the house 7.01. I'd get disciplined. Back then, it was called a whooping. I wouldn't come in the house after 7.01 again. I'm the type of person that I need pain. I am a consequence individual. That's just how I'm built. That's how I am. I was in treatment. I was in the basement of the treatment facility. I'll never forget. I was in there. And this time when I got the treatment, there was no what I call scumbag kit, meaning all the essentials to have a fun time in treatment. This time it was, I'm in the basement and I'm going through the underwear and I'm picking out the ones that aren't stained. And that was enough to humble me. In 78 days, I got busy. I stopped counting my days. I made my days count. And here we are. You are a very spiritual person. Absolutely. I talked to someone not long ago who told me a really shocking stat, and that is generally 3% of people on the street make it off the street. So you are in the extreme minority. He was also, so he was also part of that 3%. So, you know, you, you talk a lot about, you know, your spirituality, which is awesome too, but talk a little bit more about how it was that you fell into that 3% and not the 97%. You know, you had that, the guy who came up and, 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 and offered you sort of the, the, the opportunity, but what put you in that position? Like, where were you in, at that moment? Um, it's a very good question. Um, those statistics, as far as I'm concerned, with the country we're in, that's criminal. I agree. That's dereliction of duty on a lot of levels with a lot of people. Um, and we can get into that too. <laughs> but 
No, the reality of it is, um, everybody always asks me, how did you go from the dumpster to speaking across the country? And the answer was God and grind, right? So let me explain. I got blessed growing up that I had that instilled in me. Um, so I, it was muscle memory for me once I decided to get, to put my mind frame. But it also came down to, when I was in treatment, I remember calling my mom, and this is, I've been to like 15, 20 treatments. I remember calling my mom, and, and I've been to like 20 sites too. And I said, mom, you know, I'm going to do right this time out. She said, Freddie, I hope I didn't get sober to bury you because I will. And I got angry. And what I did was I started noticing how if I got sober, I had gifts. I started a, tre I started a prayer group of treatment. We started with three people. Before we left, we had 34 people. And I started realizing, wait a minute. I'm not a mistake. Wait a minute. If I could, do, if I could go to any lengths to get high, what can I do if I'm sober? Because Budge Aldrin, one of the first two human beings to ever walk on the moon, he's an alcoholic. How many inventors and CEOs, writers, people that change the fabric of this country have our illness? Wait a minute. I got a gift here. So once I, I, I believe that, I started turning that into action. I started turning that into education. I started making sure that my network was people that had what I wanted. I wanted to be a good father. I got good fathers in my network. I wanted to have education. I got educated people in my network. How do I become a master? I've studied other masters, right? Like I've taken... I've realized that whatever I put my time to is what I'm going to get out of it. So I started laying down the foundation of eating right, working out, yoga, meditation, church, prayer, Bible, and the people around me live that same type of life. So that's how I did it. I just, I, I wrote down my time, right? When I wake up till I go to sleep and I tell all my mentees to do this. And they say, why? Because I want you to realize how much time in a day you're wasting. That's what I started doing. I started turning all my knowledge and what I believed in my anger into action. No, I, I, I love that because, you know, we focus on all the negatives and obviously they way outweigh the positives of, of this, this affliction that we've got. But we also, it, when you put that towards something good, you know, you can, you can, we work 10 times harder, you know, because we, we're used to it. <laughs> we have different souls and you can't argue it. All the, all, look at look look at the fabric of this country has been changed by people with mental illness and substance abuse. I, I love that, um, and and yet it still remains something that is behind this giant wall of stigma. Yep. So you and I are, are, are similar in this way that we got our second chance, and yes. we said we're going to use that second chance for good. What was your first moment of okay? I'm, I'm on this path, and now I got to start speaking out. I've, I've been blessed at the college graduated from Delaware County Community College. I was an Ammon scholar. Uh, Ammon is a wonderful organization to help people in recovery, all kinds of Ill, issues, illnesses. They care about the whole student. And I was blessed that they had asked me to be on a panel at Rutgers University, Recover Out Loud Summit. I'm on the panel, and there's like four of us. One kid was going to NYU, other girls going to UCLA. I mean, these people are like in recovery in college doing it. And as I'm up there, I look out in the crowd and I notice people are hanging on to the words I'm saying, like they really believe me. And I started crying, but I couldn't show it. I'm on stage, right? And I'm crying and my wife's in the crowd and we get done and we run out. And I said, we got to go outside. I said, well, I said, just come on. We got to start and I start crying and my hands in her lap. It hit me. My life had changed. I was now in a situation where God has given me a gift and people need to hear my story and and people in my shoes that don't have a voice and people that have died before me 
there needs to be a voice for those people so that the world can see you do realize some of us come from the dumpster and thrive. You do realize some of us come from the worst of the extreme situations and we end up being CEOs of Fortune 500 companies and senators and doctors and lawyers. Like I realized this was no longer about if I wanted to, it was the fact that I had to. And another story real fast, my wife, I had the paperwork for the LLC up on my um, computer and I was scared to submit it for the company because I was scared to tell my story and there were certain things that were going to, have to come out and I was, I was feared up. I was looking at too much of what could go wrong instead of looking at what could go right. And I will never forget my wife looked at me and said, Freddie, you have a gift. It would be self-centered and you would be doing this world a disservice by not sharing that gift. You got a career that fell in your life. Hit submit and let's go. Trust God. <laughs> well, it sounds like you found a, a wonderful partner in that respect. Without question, I realize healthy people attract healthy people. That's right. Yeah, and I, and I love that story because I, I had, you know, I think that if you're in this line of work, you everyone's got that moment, right? And right. for me, it was the second time I was speaking. And, and you know, the first five years I was in recovery, I, I saw it as a mark of shame. I was, you know, that stigma is real. Right. And it was that second time speaking where I got off stage and, uh, I was pulled into a, the kitchen of the, the place I was giving the speech and everybody there was in recovery. And we ended up just sitting around talking for like 45 minutes. And I still get chills thinking about that moment. And that was the moment where I went, shit, I, I got to do this. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it just hits you and it sticks with you. Absolutely. I totally agree. And there's no greater feeling that when you speak, like when I speak at a treatment center or a college or somewhere, the light goes off for people. And I see them months later, a year later, and they're saying, Freddie, thank you. I'm now doing da 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 That's the money of it. That's the fruit of it. You got, there's a gift to change the world. And I think that's so important, you know, you use the line that I love. You said, that's the money of it. Because look, if you're doing this line of work, like you may, you're going to make some money because this is in demand, but you're not going to get like rich off this kind of work. You got to love it. You got to, you got to wake up and breathe this work because it's a lot of work. It's hard work. And, and we're not, you and I aren't driving around in Benzes because of, because no. of this work. Not at all. And, and I tell people all the time, it's an integrity job, right? So like, you know, when, when people see you doing this, and I say this all the time, everybody wants the Benz. I used to think that my life got better with a better car, a better degree, a better house, a better all that. I realized my life got better because I became a better person. And I think that's so important because it's the opposite of what we're taught. And that's what my Choose Your Struggle brand is about. You know, we go through life, we're taught at a young age, it's about money, it's about money, it's about money. And then you get to an adult and you start realizing like, okay, but that's not what's making me happy. If I follow what's going to make me happy, the money will come and the success will come and you'll feel more fulfilled that way. And it sounds like that's what you sort of, you were, you were woken up to. I, after you eat out of a dumpster, how you look at poverty is completely different. And I can tell you that I realized a bigger house is just a bigger place to hide bigger problems. So you mentioned this earlier, and I think this is a great segue, and that we are having a national conversation about that issue of issues of poverty and issue of systemic racism right now. Even more so in our line of work, there is almost no diversity. This is a majority white man's business what can we do to start changing that and how can we get more people that are not old white men to tell their stories and to help break down some of this stigma 
Great question. Um, so let me be very clear. My wife is Caucasian, right? Um, and we are people that she's an RN. She's getting her master's in health administration. Man, um, you guys are a power couple. <laughs> uh, God, we're very blessed. Um, what I can tell you is, is this. I was watching a frontline documentary about the economic crisis. And I was realizing all of Wall Street, the people that were showing, 99% of them were white Anglo-Saxon men. When I look at all these different businesses, they're like you said, it's white men. There's two things that sticks out to me for that. Number one, what is HR doing? Right? Like, how is there not policy in force that instructs and makes sure that checks and balances are looked at? Right? Like, what, how, how have we gotten to a point where there's no oversight to make sure that there's more diversity? The second thing is, is what are the policies and who writes these out? Because I want to know how every institution, as I look through this country, is the same. Take away white. The fact that there's not more females. Mm-hmm. Look at all these households. We're in a divorce statistic country. We're in a single parent home country. And most of those single parents are women. What do you mean? They're good enough to raise our children, but they're not good enough to run a Fortune 500 company? Stop it. I, I, I'm just, it, it, it baffles me. That is 2020, and after hundreds of years of slavery, after civil rights, after the way women have been treated and abused since the beginning of mankind, it, 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 it baffles me that we have leadership, and I don't care Republican or Democrat, take away what you believe in. I'm talking about morally, ethically right. That one of our issues is we got to protest because once again, America, we don't know how to treat people equally. I think the way that you change that is by two things. One, as we see, burning and looting. Because it seems to be that America don't know no other way unless we start burning the White House down. And it's unfortunate, but unfortunately, people don't want to listen. Two, it starts at the, the, the congressional law level. The where there's laws put in place and there's policy put in places that, listen, we're only going to make sure that diversity is a key equitable thing. I'm not, because you see all the time these speeches, um, diversity and inclusion. Uh Uh-uh. If you're not at the table, you're on the menu. I need equity. Mm -hmm. Well, I I think that, 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 you know, is so important to, to state that we exist in a society, in, in a country that the system was built at a time when white men could, could, not care whatsoever about the opinion of, of women and right. own black and brown people. Right. And our system hasn't changed. And yet we think we can change with inside the system without changing the system. And then we get angry at communities that have been kept down this entire time. Like, well, why aren't you, you know, you hear all this BS and it, it shocks me that people aren't able to step back and go, Oh, maybe the system that was built to keep them down is the problem what you're saying is completely correct. And to piggyback off of that gospel you just said, I was at a conference in Kansas city, right? And I was talking about my life. And this kid said to me, because I was getting to the point where I was saying, I know it's racism, but I think this is about money. Right. And the kid said to me, um, he said, you don't know what it feels like to be an African-American student in a low income town and all the teachers are white from the suburbs. 
How are they going to relate? And it was funny because at that point I haven't start, I hadn't done high school assemblies yet. So I did my first assembly and I went in there and it was a minority students from low income housing, but I'm looking around and the teachers are mostly white. What do you expect it? Because now you're putting these teachers in a position where people are not familiar with. And then you're putting these students in a position where they're coming from homes, right? That they're not getting taught equity and diversity. I know that because I had to talk to these kids. So my point is, America, it's like they systematically are keeping it so it can't change, right? And, and that's the problem. And then that comes into money too. So yeah, everything you said is correct. So so let's use that that point about money to give my listeners a chance to to learn where they can find you, where they can follow you, and if they wanna they wanna bring you in to speak, where where can they do that? Oh, bless your soul. My website is www.themessagellc.com. It's all one word. You can look me up at the message LLC. You can also look me up on LinkedIn. Um, I'm on Instagram, the message LLC. Um, and so I've learned what marketing, because I you can't go to school to be a motivational speaker. You just <laughs> learn it. I didn't go to school for marketing. So I literally was sitting down one day. I was like, hmm, you know what? When I want people to leave, I want them to be like, that's the message. So so let's use that then to go in that direction. You, as we were just talking about, you know, you are one of the few um in, in in this industry that is mostly white men, you're one of the few not, are you able to, are, are, are you finding that you are able to branch out and break out of that box that, that this, this uh, business would put you in? And are you able, are people finding you? Are people hiring you outside of that community? So it's a great question. I'll tell you a story. So I, I, last year I got blessed to go to, um, speaking, uh, six cities in five weeks. So the one conference I'm at, I don't want to name the conference because I don't want to make them look bad. But because <laughs> because everybody there was good, but I had this situation I need to talk about to give you an example. I got you. So I'm at this conference. It's wonderful. It's awesome. It's a national conference. I got I got blessed to be on a panel and a panel is about teaching the students we have versus versus the students we want. So one of my mentors, Dr. Sarah Goldrich Rob, had wrote a paper that it was about. Um she's been very great to me. So I get down to this networking event that it's provost, it's people with murder status, it's higher ed administrators. And I'm in there and I'm giving my elevator speech, they call it now. And I'm telling a lady I wear two hats, I'm a student, plus I keynote, I have a company. And a lady says to me, I'll never forget this. She said, what are you doing keynoting? You don't even have your PhD yet. And when she said it, right, I said to her, she said, you didn't pay your dues. I looked at her, I said, did you get out of a dumpster? She said, no. I said, well, I guess we both didn't pay our dues. I'm here on life experience. But what that did was it taught me a lesson. I'm breaking barriers. See, at these conferences, they want you, because they give out continuing education credits, their keynote speakers, from what I've been told, have to have a certain degree level, like masters and all that. And these schools, when they bring people in, they want a certain degree level. But here's the joy. See, I, what I learned was my talent is good enough. And I don't want to get too spiritual, but it's important that you understand that I had to realize that I didn't need the resume glory. My story and my life experience was good enough because what I'm talking about is stuff that students, the degree you could throw out the window. If you can't hit their heart and soul when you're up there speaking about mental health and substance abuse, you, you're not going to get it. So I'm okay that I don't have the degree yet. I'm okay that I don't have a PhD yet because I got a PhD in hard knocks. <laughs> I got a PhD in life. So while these barriers might be up, 
I'm going to break them down because my talent is something that they can't override. Man, I, I, I love that message. I, I, and, and you and I have extremely different backgrounds, but the lived experience piece is, is right on. And I hate it when, you know, a perfect example, and, and I will mention the name because it's a big name, and that is TED, TED Talks, right? right. You know, I applied to three different TED Talks. One I never, just never heard back from, which is fine. Right. The other two, I made it to the final round and then got cut both right. times. And their final roster of speakers at each event, you know, we're talking 25 or 26 combined between the two Ted's. Right. One person with lived experience at each place. The other ones were all, you know, masters or, or doctorates and they're all researchers. Look, right. there is room for that. And those people are incredible. But like Absolutely. you just said, in those rooms, if you are up there and you're saying, well, this is what those people go through. It's, it's fake. It's not, it, you don't know. And I hope committee members that pick out speakers are listening. Yep. I understand that they got to answer to higher ups and that I understand that they have to, whatever money they spend in higher ed, they got to explain why they're spending that money and it has to look right. I get it. Also understand this. I'm a student in recovery. Take away speaking. When I walk in a room and I'm telling you what other students have told me, if he don't got lived experience, if he don't understand what that struggle feel like, I don't care about the degree. I respect degrees because I got one. I know how hard it is to get and I think they're important. But in this walk of life, you got to have that. Because it's not about how you can tell, it's not about what you're saying, it's how. It's how you're hitting the hardest, what you're doing. And here's the point, these barriers never should have been in place anyway. 100%. And, and, and you know, I, like you, I'm reminded of that all the time. I Right when I started this podcast, one of the first messages I got was someone telling me I didn't have a right to do it. Uh, she was a PhD. She said, you know, I've studied this for, she said like 15, 20 years or whatever. Right. What, you know, how do you back up what you, what you're doing? And I said, thank you so much for your opinion. I lived it. That's my experience. That's my education. I was the one waking up every day and immediately going into withdrawals. I was the one that had to spend months, you know, going through detox so you can research it and I applaud you and thank you for doing that. Absolutely. But I live this. You know, it's funny. I don't get paid because of my degree. I get paid because of my talent and my life experience. And my personal opinion, I don't think school measures your intelligence. I think it measures your discipline. Mm -hmm. School is a system. How well can you write MLA? How well can you write APA? How well can you put words together? How well can you research and put all that together? Once you learn that system, you can graduate summa cum laude if you want to put the time in. Some of the smartest people I know came out of shelters and mental homes. You know why? Because they're readers and they got life experience. Quick pause in the interview to give a shout out to some of the work I'm doing in the coaching field. After the last time I shouted this out, two different people reached out and said, hey, I want to learn more about what you're offering, one of whom I'm already working with. It's that easy. So reach out today. The first session is always free. And I'm not going to talk you into it because it doesn't help you. It doesn't help me. There's no point in that. Reach out. Let's chat mental health. Maybe you're already doing all the stuff that you should be doing. Doesn't hurt you at all to reach out and find out. Reach out today. Maybe together we can all just be a little bit happier. All right. Back to the interview. <laughs> You started your path at a pretty early age, if I, you know, reading your biography. Your mother is also in recovery, is that right? Yeah, uh, so my mother went to treatment 
one time for five days detox when I was in third grade. And by God's grace, she'll have 26 years in September. Congratulations to her. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, pure miracle. That ain't me. I went to 20 rehabs and like 15 psychs. And then my first time ever abusing anything was nine. I abused my asthma inhaler. Like you, my first thing abusing was a prescription. I was, I was diagnosed with ADHD at 11 and, you know, went on from there. So you, you like me, it seems are, are, are proof that there is, you know, this genetic piece. Or, Absolutely. Or a, yeah. So, so let's talk about that for a minute. Is this something, do you have memories of watching your mother uh, uh, misuse or, or was this something that was just in you? So, okay. Two things it is. I got lucky that my mother's abuse never got to the point where she was selling herself, where I was tying things so she could shoot dope in her arm. I got lucky that I didn't have to experience what many children unfortunately have to go through. My mom went to treatment once for five days with Alpes, never relapsed. So I, it was almost like she went to the hospital and then this is just now her new life. I got lucky. I know this genetic. Let me tell you how I know. Both sides of my family have alcoholic and a, and a mental health. Second of all, at nine years old, I'm abusing my asthma inhaler. And when I'm abusing it, I'm also having friends come to my house and I'm teaching them how to abuse it. And I'm learning how to manipulate and scheme my mom into getting more. At nine. On top of that, the first time I ate pepperoni, I ate so much, I threw up. The first time I had a blow pop, I ate so much, I went back, used my allowance money, bought a case of it, ate it, and broke out. My first two years of being sober, I ate so much ice cream, my cholesterol shot up and were toxic. I got a steroid cream on my house right now that when I use too much cologne, I break out, I got to put the steroid cream on. If my wife tells me to turn the oven on 350, I turn it on to 400. Anything I like, I do it, Matt. I just have a brain that does more. So it, it ain't even arguable if this was genetic. Anything I touch, I do excessive. Yeah, I, I definitely feel that. You know, there's a saying about uh, uh, a guy who in, in, in um, struggling with alcoholism said, you know, look, you can have a drink. I don't want a drink. I want 10 drinks. Mm. And that is, you know, mm. that's that's what this is. And and I'm with you, man. You know, I have hobbies that I I don't do them. I love, I, I live, right. you know what I mean? Right. Like I, right. I'm just fully, exactly. Right. Uh, and, and, and again, you know, when you turn that to a positive in our line of work, it, it helps you succeed. It helps you exceed every, what other people are doing. Cause we can turn this around and say, we eat, you know, we breathe this kind of stuff. Now. Most of the teachers, you're so true. And it got me thinking when a letter of recommendation I've gotten, most of the teachers, I noticed what they say about me. You do what most students won't do. And that's the extra, the attention to detail. Let's use sports. For example, Patriots and Bill Belichick, their attention to detail and their OCD, you look up, you got six chips, right? Like anybody that does that type of stuff, Tiger Woods, anybody that, that has an attention to detail and they're so over extravagant, you look up, you've won 15 majors in 10 years, right? Like that, I just think people that are successful in any walk of life, I think you have to have that in you. So then taking it back to something we kind of briefly touched on, you know, this is a thing that, that we sort of reward when it when it's hard work or we reward, uh, you know, the, the addiction in a lot of ways. And yet with with, you know, when you struggle with it, there's a stigma. People turn their back. How can we start breaking that down? How can we help people understand that, that it's not that we're others? This is a thing that is that is very common to humans. This is a great question. So what I've done is, is I've started, people that don't understand mental health and substance abuse disorder, I get them books. That's the first thing I do. 
If Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Oxford, some of the best minds, brains on the planet, they've been studying the brains since the early 1900s. It's 2020. Really? Now, some, now, I don't know too many people that graduated from those universities. And I definitely don't know too many people that taught at those universities. And I definitely don't know too many people that are researched and in journals by them universities. Obviously, at this point, hundreds of years later, it must be true. That's number one. Number two, people act like I said when I was born, God, thank you for addiction. Let me get ADHD. Let me get mental. And by the way, sprinkle on uh, some uh, over-excessive compulsive disorder. This is the brain I'm giving. The only reason this has stigma is because the symptoms are stealing, robbery, jail. There are moral things that society would look on as bad. They don't understand that just like your brain tells you to use the bathroom and eat, my brain tells me to get one more. And part of getting one more is I might steal out your purse. Part of getting one more is I might rob your house. But that doesn't mean I don't love you. That's a symptom of what's going on with my illness. So I always tell people when the diabetic eats too many donuts, we don't throw that person under the bus and we don't trash them. It's the same situation. The only difference is, is that I stole your wedding ring so I look worse. But at the end of the day, I'm a good person. I just got a disease that makes me do bad things. Right. There's a, there's a rationalization in our brain that, you know, it, we, we have that voice that speaks up and tells us it's okay. I, I, look, at the end of the day, I, I tell people like this, right? And this is real. Robin Williams, Kate Spade, Anthony Bourdain, all unquestioned work ethic, all changed the fabric of their institutions, all legendary Hall of Famers and what they do, all dead because mental health wasn't a priority. So we can't sit here and say that people with mental health substance abuse are productive, but until we get a president, a senator, that stands in front of the crowd and says, you know what, I used to get drunk, I used to abuse people, and I used to do wrong things, but now I've changed my life and i become the president, people ain't gonna hear it. It's gonna take an Oprah. It's gonna take an Ellen. It's gonna take somebody that's so at that top level that we're not afraid to sit in the rooms around them men and say, hey, I used to shoot dope on my neck in the bathroom, but now I'm help saving the world. Until we put a person like that at that plateau, until a Drake, until somebody that is so extremely high level, it ain't gonna change. I'm with you, man. And, and what worries me is it seems like we're moving in a direction, at least right now, where vulnerability and empathy are being equated with signs of weakness. And so instead of moving towards that, you're, you've got leaders in place right now who, even when they do make colossal mistakes that lead to deaths, that whatever, cannot say, I was anything less than perfect. Right, because they have to look a certain way, right? And, and, and part of the problem is we're so worried about what we look like on the outside, but not worried about what we look on the inside. And what does that teach the youth? That teaches the youth that just get rich and everything is fine, right? And the problem, and, and the problem with that also is, is that the messaging it sends for these next generations and generations to come doesn't get us anywhere. It's terrible. It, it, it's just awful that we would think to preach what we look like instead of worried about who we are. Yep, I'm with you. So speaking of that, your mother, you know, used to very lightweight, but she struggled with, with some substances. What, how was that for you? You know, how was that for her? I mean, what was that like when you were going through this and she had been there, not to your extent, but had been there, period? Um, that's a great question. I, my mom, because she had worked in the field too, she treated me like a client. And I'm not mad at her for that. I think it's smart and she didn't enable me. Um, also, I'll tell you that her being in this 
helped me when I got sober because when I came into the rooms, you just couldn't tell me anything. You just couldn't run anything by me because I had seen good recovery. So I didn't care about the theatrics of your program. I cared about the guts. I cared about how you spiritually live. So I wasn't in this to get friends. I wasn't in this to be cool. When I came in, I knew exactly what I was looking for. I knew exactly what I was going to do because I had seen it before. That's a great answer. Um, and, and, you know, all too often in some of these treatment centers, you know, it's all about the spa treatment. It's all about the, well, we have horse treatment or, you know, all that kind of stuff, which is fine. Don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, if that's what you've got, great. But if it doesn't change the way you approach the patient and the way that you help someone enter recovery, then it's just, it's just bells and whistles. So I, I love that you bring this up. I think what these treatment centers are doing and getting away with is absolutely criminal. First of all, we need to start looking at this thing holistically. Everybody is not built for the rooms of recovery. Do I believe in the rooms of recovery? You're damn right I believe in it. It saved my mother's life. It saved me. But that don't mean it's for everybody. There's more than one way to skin a cat. Okay? Number two, kids are coming in younger. You know what that means if they're coming in younger? Their parents are going to go to the rooms with them. Do you really think with the culture of the rooms right now that these parents coming from the places they're coming when they hear some of that verbiage is coming out of the rooms? Hell no. So you know what happens? We need to have a more holistic approach. Meaning when you walk in treatment, and don't tell me they don't got the money, oh, because they're doing quite well. <laughs> when you walk in treatment, maybe the rooms are for you. How about we preach meditation, yoga, and spirituality for you? Maybe your rooms aren't for you. We preach working out and looking at it from a health standpoint. Also, mental health. Why are the first thing you should be doing when you leave treatment is a, is a seeing a psychiatrist and a therapist. It's nothing illegal about being safe. So even if you don't believe that you have mental health disorder, get it checked. Because I see a lot of people that are clean, but they didn't recover. I'm with you, man. And it, 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 it almost makes me a little sad that in 2020, that has to be a thing that you say, that, that, that the mental health aspect has to be taken care of, that you can't just send someone through treatment and be like, all right, we're done. It's unbelievable to me, right? I, uh, at one time, my uh, daughter had to go to treatment, right? When we were seeking out treatment centers, one of the things they kept saying is, well, yeah, we have yoga, and, you know, we have spa, and we have that. And I'm like, why is she going and I can't? Are you kidding me? Who wouldn't want to go to that? That's not teaching them nothing. This, is, this isn't about how well and comfortable you can be. Treatment is emotional surgery. If you're not crying, if you're not going through it, if your emotions are a wreck, then you ain't changing and you ain't getting it. And the people at the top should know better. When I call, I don't want to hear nothing about how good the spa is and all that. I need to know what are the guts of the programming? What is the mental health? What is the medication? Who are your psychiatrists? Who are your counselors? Miss me with all that other stuff. And you know what's deep about it? What the bottom line is? Profit over people. Yep. A hundred percent. And and that's why a lot of people that I respect in this industry are calling for the treatment to be rolled back into just going to your doctor, going to anything else, instead of it being a separate industry that is just making money. It's criminal. It is. I'm with you. You know, you, you look at some of these treatment centers and their success rate is in the teens and the twenties, and yet they're costing tens of thousands of dollars to go there. And and yet if you relapse, which again, if your success rate is that low, you start right back over, same cost. There's not any sort of, well, you know, we didn't really help you the first time. We're going to make you pay the exact same amount the second time. And it's I would love to work for Bill Gates or Steve Jobs, God bless his soul, or love to work for Mark Zuckerberg 
and the production of your department is in the teens. I want to see how long they keep you on staff. You know, that's such an interesting point because, you know, you're looking at, and it's the same thing that we're seeing right now with the defund the police calls. You look at the success rates of these things, mm -hmm. right? And, and we're focused on the treatment, but it's the same thing. You know, if you look at any industry where the success rate is as low as the treatment industry, if you look at an industry right now, they're, you know, in New York City, they were saying that the, the process rate for police is like 40 something percent. Any of these amazing business leaders you referenced, they would be looking at these rates going, what the hell is wrong with these companies? And that tells me that there's underlying issues that they don't want to change. 100%. And, and the bottom line is, we're talking about defunding the police. It's not that we don't have the funds, let's allocate them right. How about, hey, you know what, at the academy, let's start teaching better. How about um, when the police come in and at the HR departments, at the police or whatever the oversight is, if somebody has 13 um, complaints, maybe he's a problem. <laughs> how yep. about the people around them how about like if there's a video out and somebody has his foot on somebody's neck and the other guys are sitting there watching maybe that's a culture that tells you it's not doing very good i'm with you man i'm gonna say rocket science <laughs> well uh before we go into our final questions one more time give my listeners a chance to Learn where they can find you. Yeah, this has been special. Uh, I am, you can Google The Message LLC. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. You can also look at my website. It's www.themessagellc.com. Well, yeah, and I, I repeat that. I found you on LinkedIn because somebody I follow shared some of your work. And I was like, oh, man, I got I to gotta get connected with this dude. Bless so you. definitely follow him. It's, 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 you know, you're saying a lot of great stuff. Uh, I, I finished with the same two questions with everybody. Number one, who are your inspirations? Who should we be following? Who should we be learning about? Who should we be reading that we're not? Who, who really is doing something for you? Number two, what are your self-care habits that you would recommend people, people try that work for you? So the people that I follow, and I'm being completely honest with this, is the people that are in the shelters and the people that I volunteer. They are inspiration for me because these, some of these people will never be on the Choose Your Struggle podcast. Some of these people will never be on LinkedIn. Some of these people will never have a voice. They inspire me to work hard. That's the people I'm following. I'll tell you another people I'm following is the people that have died before us and laid their life on the line. The people I have now as mentors, they're great. Love them. They help me and they inspire me. But there's a finality to death and what you've left that takes me further. Dr. Sarah Goldrich Robb is a person. She is unbelievable. Um, I'm reading Simon Siddick's book right now. I'm reading now Ferguson's book called The Ascent of Money. I tell everybody, you gotta read. Readers are leaders. Every, me and my wife go through the Bible every night and right now my wife got a book. Uh, for, for holidays, we buy each other books now. We don't do nothing else but buy each other books. Um, I never see nobody get dumber by reading. <laughs> uh, but no, the volunteer piece for me is what inspires me. And that's just honest um, because that's what keeps me focused on what's important, that it's not about me. It's about the people behind me and opening doors up for them. Because when a door opens up for me, it opens up for that kid in rehab who was shooting dope in his neck that don't believe he can. Um, and your last question, can you repeat that for me, brother? Yeah. What are your self-care habits that, that when you need to stop and center yourself, what, what's working for you? Um, so it's a foundation of health. I see a therapist, I take medication, I go through my steps with my therapist, um, I trust her opinion and how she's lived and her, her, her credentials on treating other people. 
I attend all different types of meetings. Um, I, I right now go to Refuge Recovery, uh, which is a Buddhist meeting that is in my home group. Uh, I love that meeting. I go there. Um, I uh, eat right. Not perfect. Let me make this clear. It's not perfect. Okay? It's progress. Working out. Um, I am surrounded by people that are healthy because, as I told you, healthy people are not attracted to unhealthy people. I live a life based on health. I volunteer, I speak, education, I read. Every part of my day has something that affects my soul to make me more healthy. I, I, I keep a simple, quiet Sunday dinner life. Well, to, to kind of tie it all back together, it sounds like what we were saying earlier, you've turned that, that uh, hyperness of addiction into positive away from the negative. Yes, I, 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 I've, I just have decided that I am tired of hearing about we only can do this and addicts do this and this is it. And, you know, maybe you'll get a job and rent a room or, you know, that like, like, stop, stop. No, we can be anything we want to be. And if you don't have people in your circle telling you that, then you need to switch your circle. I am the story by God's grace from the dumpster to national keynote. How did that happen? God and grind. Well, I love it, man. I really appreciate you taking the time and, I know that my listeners are going to be inspired by this. Oh, bless you. Uh, your platform is unbelievable. As I said, history will shine bright on you. I will continue to pray for you for strength, wisdom, and favor, and we will stay uh, connected. And I thank you for this. It was a blessed, humble experience. Huge shout out to my podcast sponsor, Mountain Made CBD. Mountain Made is changing the CBD game by offering a line of high-dose CBD tablets at an affordable price. Their products are THC-free, and third-party tested for accuracy, cleanliness, and potency. Their products, which now ship nationwide, include Build for CBD saturation, Boost for precision titration, and Recover for rest and rehab. With nine years' experience in hemp and fitness, Mountain Maid's founders are focused on creating a quality CBD product to help those with activated lifestyles. Check out www.mountainmade.life to find out more about how their product can help you crush your life. And you know, I'm all about that. Remember, their products ship nationwide. So go check out the website today and follow them on social media at Mountain Made. And also listen to episode seven with Mountain Made founder, Mike Passion. All right, back to the episode. All right, we've come to the end of another podcast episode. Thank you all for sticking around for this episode. I hope you enjoyed both of those interviews. <laughs> As I said on the way in, you know, Frederick just got me so hyped. You know, I, uh, I, I just, I love his energy. I love his commitment to these these topics. Dude is an inspiration, and I am super lucky that I had a chance to chat with him. And and. NJ, you know, his story, man, is like, like, we need more of those coming out. We need more people to know that you can do that, that you can, you know, he was not middle-aged, I don't want to say that, but he was older than most people would be when they think about sort of starting a new thing, starting off on a new path, and he did it, and that is just fucking awesome. So thank you to both of them. Thank you to all the people, as I said, who reached out after the last episode. Thank you in advance for everybody who's going to fill out the survey. <laughs> it's in the 
the show notes, please do that. It really would mean a lot to me. It would mean a lot to the future of this podcast if you filled that out. And like I said, everyone who enters is is going to, to be eligible to win this gift card. So please do so. It really would mean a lot. Thank you as well to everybody who's been rating the podcast. In the last two weeks, I've gained 10 new ratings. That's awesome. Thank you for that. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, please keep rating. Please keep reviewing. I I need a couple more of those. Uh, That would be awesome. Keep sharing. Uh, Last week was definitely a high-shared episode, and that's mostly, you know, thanks to both of the guests who are big on social media. I'm sure this week is going to be very similar in that respect, but please keep sharing. It would mean a lot to me to get more people reaching out and saying, hey, I let this person know because I thought they would identify with the podcast. Like Those are the messages that I really love getting, so please do so. It's time for the Choose Your Card, as always, brought to you by Blurt, Blurt Foundation. They don't pay me to say this. I just love their products and use them all the time. And uh, I think they're great. Check out Blurt if you haven't already done so, because I think you'll find something there that that you'll want to use. I I do every time I look at it. I honestly have to stop looking at their website because every time I do, I'm like, oh, I want to buy that. So, yeah, (laughs) go check them out. Today's card pack is the Believe in Yourself cards. Believe in Yourself card pack. Here is the card for today. We love seeing raw truth and openness in other people, but we're afraid to let them see it in us. We're afraid that our truth isn't enough, that what we have to offer isn't enough without the bells and whistles, without editing and impressing. That was by, if you couldn't guess that, Renee Brown. She is fantastic. Yeah, that is pretty much what this podcast is about. Uh, I, I say this all the time when we're talking about the, the subject of trauma, but you can't compare your trauma to anybody else's. And, and the same is true about your vulnerability, your your empathy. You, you can't compare those things. I mean, yes, there is a certain level at which your openness isn't as much as somebody else's or whatever the case is. But at the end of the day, what matters is that you are taking the steps that you need to be taking, that you are doing the things that you need to be doing. Because... Everybody is at different points on this trajectory, right? I mean, we are not all working at this in the same speed. We're not all going towards the same destination, right? I mean, this isn't, that's not the way this works. You know what I'm saying? So basically what I am trying to say here is set your own path, set your own goals, choose your struggle, and take the real steps along that path and don't compare it with anybody else because... They don't know your struggle, and you don't know theirs, so it's all about what matters to you. That rolls into my good egg for this week. This is a little bit of a cop-out, I know, but I love hearing from you. I say that all the time, and you all have been so good in that respect. You know, I I wish it was more, because I want to hear from all of my fans and all of the supporters of this show, but beyond just doing the Patreon and the survey and all the kind of stuff I always yell out or have been yelling out this podcast, there is a specific one I want this week, and that is reach out with your good egg. That's your good egg this week. Reach out with your good egg ideas because all of these are coming from me and I'm happy to do it because I think that they're all good deeds and they're all good things people should be doing. But that doesn't mean I don't want other people's opinions. So reach out. Give me things that you think would be great good eggs. You can submit them on my website or find me on social media. Y'all know how to do that by now. I want to hear from you. So 
Thank you for tuning in this episode. Have a wonderful week. Show your vulnerability, show your empathy, spread your love, and choose your struggle.